Hell no, I want to be here forever. That's why I work my ass off. Build championship teams, not go chase after them. 100 emoji, shrug emoji, hashtag go Spurs go. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble. Today's show also brought to you by Hotels.com, by Untuck It and by Grip6 Belts. Today we're going to be looking at the San Antonio Spurs, their 2018-19 season in review. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. it. Let's get to it indeed. A weird time I guess to be doing the Spurs review after two of their former players just led the Toronto Raptors into the NBA Finals for the first time, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Of course, but we're talking Spurs today, not former Spurs. This team finished with a 48-34 and record, seventh seed in the Western Conference. Uh, it really took Denver to the limit in the first round before losing. They had the 22nd best pace in the NBA, 19th in defense, 7th in offense, which is a little bit of a surprise. We know that Greg Popovich teams always have a reputation for defense. They struggled there, but surprisingly on a team that shoots no threes, they had uh, the 7th best offense in the entire NBA. And talking about those threes, they took literally the fewest amount of threes in the NBA, but shot them at the highest percentage. 39% of their threes, but only took 25 a game. They took the second most two-point attempts in the league. Uh, only 18th in terms of converting those. Number one free throw team. Number one at taking care of the ball. The fewest turnovers per game in the NBA as well. And defensively, you know, worst amount of steals. 30th in steals. 21st in blocks. Really, it came from hitting their two-pointers at a at a huge rate. Getting to the line and hitting... Well, not even getting to the line. Hitting the shots at the line at a high rate as well. Converting the minimal amount of threes that they took at a decent rate. And just taking care of the ball. So a really weird profile here when looking at this squad. Just, you know... We look at modern offenses and we tend to look at free throw rate and three-point attempt rate, and they are right down the bottom of both of those despite hitting both of those at really high levels. Now, they could have been an even better offense if they took more threes and more free throws. Number one in free throw percentage, number one in three-point percentage, but 30th in three-point attempt rate and 24th in free throw attempt rate. So more of those things would have actually made this offense more high-powered yeah, hitting a lot of twos is great when they go in. There is a little bit of a risk of that falling off at some point. Um, but when your team is built around mid-range threats like DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, it makes sense to be able to tailor an offense to the strengths of those players. And we know uh, DeRozan especially absolutely sucks balls at uh, at hitting his three-pointers. Let's look at how this team looks for the upcoming offseason season. Draft pick-wise, they have pick number 19. They had pick 18 last year. They've also got pick number 29, which comes from that uh, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green trade. And then their second-round pick is pick number 49. Look at their cap space. They can't really get too much here. They can get up to about $5 million in space if they renounce all the rights for their unrestricted free agents. Their unrestricted free agents, there's only really one major one there. That's Rudy Gay, who was on a $10 million contract last season. There's also Dante Cunningham, Quincy Pondexter, and uh, Donatus, Donatus Motiunas, who was signed at the end of the season. Cunningham and Pondexter, they are very, very low-priority guys who played, especially Cunningham, probably more minutes than they needed to. Gay is the important one. 
depending on what Rudy wants to do and what the Spurs want to do there. He was a key piece either as a starting small forward, even though he's really a power forward, or as the sixth man coming off the bench. But finding the replacement there at the three position, maybe it's tough, or maybe they just keep DeMar DeRozan in that position permanently. Um, and then look to get more minutes out of, say, Davis Bertans at the four, or a little bit more Pirtle Aldridge starting front court with Derek White, Dejounte Murray at the one and the two. So there is some possibilities. I think if they do look to bring Gay back, it probably will be in a sixth man role, and we'll see more Aldridge Pirtle front courts with DeRozan almost exclusively at the three. But that provides you know, issues in itself with his absolute lack of defense, the lack of shooting. It is going to cause problems for this Spurs team. Um, the season after the 2020-2021 season, they can get a huge amount of cap space there with guys like Aldridge with a, a partial guarantee. De, De, DeRozan's got a player option as well, which could actually, yeah, he could decide to decline that. Lots of other options there for them to create some uh, some space in terms of free agency there. So this season, they are a little bit locked into what, they, uh, what they're going to do, just with that real swing decision being what they do with Rudy Gay. But even if Rudy Gay doesn't come back, that doesn't really open up much for them outside of exceptions in terms of bringing players in. So it's not like they've got you know big cap space to bring in someone the equivalent of gay because they just don't have that level of cap space available to them um, with uh, those big contracts uh, contracts to DeRozan and Aldridge. All right, if we look at this team now, as actually we won't just we won't quite just get into that. I do have to remind you guys to subscribe to this podcast and do that by using the new Himalaya podcast app, your best option for subscribing to podcasts. Himalaya podcast app is the app you need to go and download. And also our sponsors today, uh, Grip6 Belt and Untuck It are sponsoring today's show on Grip6. Go to grip6.com slash lock. That's grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E for a special offer. And Untuck It, use the promo code NBA for the best untucked shirts, shirts to specifically designed to be worn untucked. Use that promo code NBA for 20% off your order. All right, let's get into these players now. The number one player fantasy-wise on this San Antonio Spurs team was LaMarcus Aldridge. He was uh, the 25th ranked player overall. I thought that we'd see a little bit of a step back from uh, Aldridge this season. It wasn't the case. He was actually identical in terms of his rank from last season to this season, 25th in both of those years. He did take a step back, though, in his overall level of of scoring. Uh, Two fewer points per game, which was to be expected given the arrival of DeMar DeRozan. But he was able to offset that in terms of his other numbers by marginally increasing his free throw percentage which gave him a little bit of a boost there. And in a league whose free throw percentage seemed to be, at least for some of the top players, seemed to be dropping down, you take it, and his, his free throw percentage went from eight point or 83.7 to 84.5, which is a marginal increase, 0.8 percentage points increase. But in terms of the Z score impact, because it's all relative to how the rest of the league's doing, that was a 0.17 Z score, standard score increase, which is a pretty big deal. And that's enabling Aldridge to stay at that 25 spot. He also increased his rebounds from 8.5 to 9.2, increased... Uh, increased his assists from 2 to 2.4 as well, and blocks from 1.2 to 1.3. So remarkably consistent in those other areas and improving in those other areas, even with his scoring going down. He was uh, the, the one of the best players on this team. He was the highest in wins added. PIPM had a few other players placed ahead of him, but it was still a positive offensively and defensively there as a 1.29. was only a plus one on off as this Spurs bench was really, really impressive and was large a large portion of the the success that they had this season came from that bench unit. Only a plus one for Aldridge. Some of that maybe is to do with the fact that he played with DeRozan, who historically
historically has been a relatively negative on-off sort of a guy, and we saw that again happen this season. But Aldridge... He's, uh, he is pretty old. He is uh, about to be turned 34. You would expect that there is going to be some sort of drop-off coming, and I wouldn't be stunned if either next season, maybe not next season, but the year after he becomes less than a 20-point-per-game guy at the age of 35. That might be tough to continue. The blocks from 1.3, do they go down to 1.1 or 1.0? Do the free throw attempts drop from 5 down to 4.2? Do you know, the rebounding go back to 8.5? Like these are all, I think, distinct possibilities for Aldridge. And if I had to set an over-under on where he ranks next season, I'd put it at about 35, and I'd probably take the under, meaning I think he'll be a worse finish than 35 for next season, just as age-related decline starts to kick in. DeMar DeRozan... Um, I think he was really strong to start the season, did fall off as the season tended to go on. The 39th ranked player overall, he's about to turn 30. 21 and 6 with over 6 assists, 1 steal a game, 48 and 83, an abysmal 16% from 3. Just really didn't take them or, or didn't hit those 3s at all. In fact, he uh, last season in Toronto, he hit 89 3s. This season, he hit 7. That is just a complete disregard for shooting 3s. He also saw his usage rate drop in San Antonio. He was at 29.8 in the previous season in Toronto, down to 27.8 this season which is a pretty significant dip. But what we saw is him handling the ball a ton. He was at 5.2 assists in Toronto last year, all the way up to 6.0, and the rebounds went from 3.9 to 6.1. That is how he was able to increase his ranking so much. Now, I thought that he would really struggle to be a top 50 player this season. I was obviously wrong on that. I didn't see him almost doubling his rebound rate. I didn't see him bumping those assist numbers as high as he did. Uh, I did think that his scoring would fall off, and like Aldridge's, it did. He lost two points per game there, but he was able to up his efficiency. Uh, His two-point shooting stayed the same, but his overall field goals went from 45 to 48 by eliminating the the three-point shot. So that was a boon for his fantasy value there, despite the fact that for the three-pointers, he was uh, just an absolute non-factor. But as I mentioned earlier, just always weird when this guy is a negative 3.5. Like when he's on the court, the team is 3.5 points worse off. Yeah, when the bench comes in and Ballinelli and Mills and all these guys come in, they, they perform better. So a lot of it is to do with the strength of the bench, but this has been a consistent thing with DeRozan that he doesn't seem to lead his team to these strong performances. In terms of wins added, he was fifth on the team behind Aldridge, White, Bertans, and Gay. Uh, had a, a PIPM of negative 0.14. Defensively, he struggles, though the defensive PIPM wasn't a terrible number there. I think that you look at him as probably that top 40, top 45 sort of a player again next season. But when DeJounte Murray is back, do we see the six assists go back to five assists? Not that Murray is a high assist guy, but another guy that will have the ball in his hands there a little bit. And maybe that does impact his overall assist. And also, I think really, really importantly, those rebound numbers, which Avery Bradley style had a huge spike, 3.9 up to 6.1 rebounds is a huge spike. DeJounte Murray is one of the best rebounding point guards in the NBA. So when he comes back, do DeRozan's rebound numbers go back to four a game? And if so, then he's out of the top 50. And I think that's something to really pay attention to. And I think that that is a legitimate possibility and not only a possibility, but something which is, seems like a likelihood to happen with the, assuming Murray comes back and is, is in full health there is a real risk of that. Uh, DeRozan also really lived off the long two, hit 40% there. His uh, two-pointers, uh, his mid-range twos, 71st percentile is a pretty strong number. Finished good, at, uh, good, finished well at the rim, but there's always risk on those long twos, although I don't have as much concern with someone like DeRozan who just plays that uh, mid-range game so, so well. That's really you know, what he is able to do as, a, uh, as an NBA player. 
Rudy Gay was the Spurs' third top 100 player, 85th overall. It provided great value with his ADP of 138. He was a guy that I was really big into. I probably wasn't big, as big into him at, pick, uh, at number 85, but I thought he'd be a top 100 guy. And he did it while playing only under 27 minutes a game. Almost 14 points, a three per game, seven boards, two and a half assists, 0.8 steals, 0.5 blocks, 50 and 82, including 40% from three. So he really outdid my expectations in terms of efficiency, took that true shooting from 54 all the way up to 58%. Otherwise, everything else is very Rudy Gay-like. His return from the Achilles injury has been fantastic and it should give everyone hope who does have an Achilles injury that you can come back and play at this solid enough level because he was really, really good. Now, he had some bouts with inconsistency. He had some bouts with his coach being inconsistent with how much they played him, and that was quite frustrating. They should have been playing Gay a lot more than they did, and the 27 minutes a night is not really what we should have been, ex- or what Gay should have been getting. But he still really outdid expectations in terms of his overall production. But like Aldridge, he is an older player, and he's going to be 33 years of age before the next season kicks off. And we don't know what team he's going to be on. So is another top 100 season a possibility for Gay? I think if he remains in San Antonio, probably not. If he finds a role as a starter on another team, then yes. Because he still can produce. He still does what he does. Just mild contributions across every category. And if instead of playing 26.7 minutes a night, he goes to another team and plays 29 a night, then yeah, he will be a top 100 guy. Maybe that efficiency won't be as excellent as what it was, but I think that trade-off with minutes will keep him as a top 100 guy. In San Antonio, the risk of the minutes not going up or keeping at this level or lower, I think is huge. Plus, there is a potential for a fall-off in efficiency numbers, which would really impact what he's going to do. And and like uh, DeRozan, and and even more so, his ability to hit mid-range shots was unbelievable. 53% on long twos. That is a number which is an unsustainable amount, I think, which is almost assuredly going to come down. 50% on all mid-range twos is a huge number too. 95th percentile as a forward, a number which we have to think comes down. I've got no problem with a 41% shooting from three. He was able to do that consistently. No worries. But a strong season from Gay, but really sitting on a, a pendulum, a knife's edge, in terms of which direction that it goes from here. Uh, and I think that's so much of it is dependent on what team he ends up going to. The other sponsor for today's show, of course, is Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, and get rewarded. Let's go through the other player, a guy that I really, really like, Derek White, of course. Didn't crack the top 100 this season, 123rd overall, but played under 26 minutes per night and like Gay, was dicked around by Greg Popovich quite a bit. 10 points, 3.7 boards, 4 assists and a steal, 48 and 77 Hit half a three, uh, 34% from three, true shooting of 56%. I thought what Derek White was able to do this season was really impressive, but the minutes were the concern. What happens with him moving forward is a tough one. Now, defensively, he's already one of the best defensive guards in the NBA, had a positive PIPM, second on the team in that metric, plus 2.21, 5.16 wins added, second behind LaMarcus Aldridge in terms of contributions on this team, a plus 5.7 on-off, again, second on this team. I think we underestimate just how good Derek White was this year, and the minutes are the real frustration. If he has 30 minutes a night, he's a clear top 70 player, in my opinion. But of course, DeJounte Murray comes back next season. And we can look at Murray and go, yeah, he's the superior player. But these were guys that were both picked in the 27th, 28th pick in the draft. Murray's a year ahead of White in terms of um, 
NBA experience, but White, uh, I believe, is is a year older because he did play longer in college. So I guess that's the trade-off there. But there's no reason why Murray, who, who and the problem is that they, they aren't great shooters. You know, Murray can't shoot. White, 34%, but not a great shooter, not a high-volume shooter. The defensive ability of those two is tremendous, but pairing them alongside with the DeMar DeRozan and, and is, uh, is really hard to see how any sort of you know, three-point ability is going to be achieved because none of those guys can shoot. And then, of course, if Jakob Pertl is in there as well, I, I just don't see how it's going to be hard. So maybe that means... Um, Maybe that means that these guys aren't going to be able to start together. Maybe we're not going to have um, you know, Derek White starting at shooting guard. Maybe Bryn Forbes will remain in that position. Maybe Dejounte Murray will come off the bench. There are a lot of question marks. I still invest in White long term because of his defensive ability. I thought his playmaking ability was strong. He's one of the best shot blocking guards in the entire NBA. He puts up strong numbers in uh, in those. Uh, from that position, which is obviously yeah, really good. And if I have a look at sort of where he ranks in that area for his position as a point guard, 96th, 96th percentile as a shot blocker. Really, really strong on Derek White. I think he'll have multiple top 100 seasons in the NBA. Bryn Forbes was a bit of a surprise this season. Didn't expect really much out of him, but played 28 minutes a night, all 82 games. But he is not a good fantasy player. 182nd overall, almost 12 points with two threes, but two assists, three rebounds, half a steal, no blocks, 46 and 89 as his percentages, and 43% from three is obviously excellent. Started nearly all season, played stretches of the season as a point guard. He is not a point guard. He's the furthest thing you can almost get from a point guard. What he is, is a guy that you add as a three-point streamer and can do it relatively efficiently. In fact, over his final 28 games, he shot 50% from the field, including 48% from three. That's excellent. And he still wasn't a top 200 player because he does absolutely nothing else. And that's where he lets you down. A PIPM was really negative for him, negative 1.05. Uh, On-off stuff, negative 2.2. So the the Forbes-DeRozan combination was not great as a pairing. I I really respect what Forbes is able to do as an undrafted player to step himself up to be a starter in the NBA and to shoot as well as he is. But to me, he's Etwan Moore and a worse version than Etwan Moore as a player and as a fantasy contributor. And this might be just, in fact, the best season he has because, as I said, trying to fit Murray and White and DeRozan into that backcourt, someone's going to have to lose minutes. And to me, having 28 minutes of Forbes and 25.8 minutes of Derek White is not a great allocation of resources. But again, shout out to Forbes for really working on his craft and being that guy. I think that eventually he slides into that Ballinelli role, 23 to 26 minutes off the bench, comes in, knocks down three, still hits two threes a game and becomes a really solid 16-team league player, but he just doesn't have the chops as an all-round guy to be a, a fantasy option in, in most formats because of his inability to contribute. Another guy that is older than you think, but also contributes a lot to that bench is Paddy Mills. are going to turn 31 soon. 23 minutes a game, all 82 games. Maybe Forbes takes some of those minutes as we move forward. 10 points, two boards, three assists with two threes, 43 and 85 on 39% shooting. For Millsy, um, a, a neutral PIPM really sucked defensively, though, negative 1.98 there. Uh, we know what he can do in coming in and hitting threes, plus 3.1 on off. There were so many times where him and Bellinelli and Bertans had all come in and knock three threes down each and making him an excellent three-point streaming option. In fact, Mills, Bertans, and Bellinelli all averaged the exact same amount of three-pointers made this season, which is fitting 1.9 triples per game on excellent shooting. And Mills was the worst shooter of those guys, shooting just 39%. And I say just, meaning it's ridiculous how well those other two guys shot. 
At, at Mills's age, you'd think that his contributions will start to decline again, and extra guards being added into the mix, plus whatever happens with Lonnie Walker, who's going to uh, come in here and, uh, and and potentially take some of these minutes. So you could see Mills's playing time perhaps decreasing. There is going to be a real squeeze in this backcourt in San Antonio, so it's something to worth that's worth mentioning for guys like White and Murray and uh, you know, deeper leagues for, for Mills and Walker. A lot of people expecting a big Lonnie Walker breakout next season, but finding where he actually fits in and does that uh, might be a little bit of a of a tougher thing to um a tougher thing for us to uh to grasp fully. The next guy we take a look at on this squad is the aforementioned Davis Bertans, the 202nd ranked player, only 21 and a half minutes this season, but as I said, 1.9 triples, hit them at 43%, eight points, three and a half boards, half a steal and block on 45 and 83. Some strong percentages. Uh, he, he was really good in terms of the on-off, led the team with a plus 8.8, massive in that uh, in that metric, plus 2.24 PIPM, was a huge offensive force for this squad overall, led the team in PIPM, really strong numbers from Bertans, but it doesn't really translate to great fantasy success. He's more of a three-point streamer, again, like Mills, he's just like the tall version of Pat Mills, really. Good free throws, limited attempts, limited defensive numbers, a, a decent enough rebounder, but I think we could see, especially if Dante Cunningham's not ret- retained or if Rudy Gay goes, we're going to see Bertans' minutes push up, maybe to 24 or 25. The advanced stuff would make you think that he probably deserves more of an opportunity to do that. And maybe he can be a two and a half, 2.63s per game guy and a 12 point per game scorer. I'd like to see the Spurs work on that Aldridge Bertans front court a little bit more and get them. Maybe it's ahead of Pirtle that he plays, or maybe we see more Pirtle Bertans in larger chunks as well. But Bertans is 26. He's going to be 27 at some point during next season. Uh, not not over the hill, not um, but not super young, but really big step up and, and a key part. And, a, and the success that he had would make you think that some more minutes might be coming his way, especially if we get Gay, Cunningham, Pondexter, all, uh, all gone from this Spurs team, which I think, you know, expecting two or th- two of those three, or if not all three of those three to be gone next season is uh, is pretty reasonable. The next guy we do talk about is Pirtle, who I thought had a legitimate chance at close to a top 150 season. It wasn't the case after coming across from Toronto in that trade. The 231st ranked player only got 17 minutes a night, and that's exactly why he wasn't able to live up to that expectation. Five and a half points and five and a half boards is not terrible. Never going to be an assist guy. 0.4 steals is pretty nice. 0.9 blocks is really good in those minutes. 65% 65% shooting is strong. The free throws were bad, 53% on 1.2 attempts. But there's enough there to make you go, well, if they're going to commit to Pirtle as a starting center and playing him 26 a night, then he can be that guy that sneaks in at the back end of a standard league draft. His advanced numbers were strong. He was positive defensively, really good defensively. In fact, 0.94 overall PIPM contributed wins. Was a plus two on off. You know, these are these are strong numbers from from Pirtle. and in his just his um third season in the NBA, it was encouraging. Now the depressing part is that he took a step back in terms of playing time from his first season or from his second season in Toronto. The free throws are always going to be an issue, but you love the fact that he's able to come out there and give you almost two blocks per thirty six and double digit rebounds, just getting more opportunity in terms of usage, which. He did take a step backwards this season. He's still a guy that I invest in. I think his, his ceiling is limited, but he will have, I think, you know, one, maybe two top 120 seasons. And 
depending on how it pans out, I think we see them look to get him and Aldridge happening a little bit more. And definitely those minutes will push more up from 17. Pau Gasol was there to begin the season. He wasn't there at the end of the season. And we saw over the final 27 games that that uh, Pirtle pushed up to 22 minutes a night. And that made him just outside the top 150 Give, you know, there's, if you get him to 26 minutes a night, can he be a 9-9 nine and nine guy with 1.7 blocks on 60, 62%, 63% shooting? That's enough to be a 12-team impact guy for certain teams. So I think Pirtle can get up. He's never going to develop as a shooter. He's not a passer. He's never going to be a 34-minute-a-night guy. But he can be a, a guy that with that large contribution in field goal percentage and blocks and rebounding can be a useful enough player. And I thought we saw to... He started to see that develop at the second or over the second half of the season. Marco Bellinelli, I talked about him already. 33 years of age, 23 minutes, 10 and a half points per game. And like those other bench guys, 1.9 triples. But unlike guys like Mills and uh, and uh, Bertans, Bellinelli was actually a big negative. Negative 1.46 PIPM, the worst defensive PIPM on the entire team, uh, an on-off of negative 3.3 is uh, is, not, is not a good number. Uh, defensive, sorry, uh, overall negative 1.3. And when you're combining with those guys with other such high levels, Mills and Gay and Bertans, who have got massive on-offs, and Pirtle to, to for for another guy to add in there to him to be a negative when playing a lot with that group says a lot about how destructive he can be as a player. He can get hot, he can hit threes, but all he is is a streamer for three pointers. Um, and again, you have to think that he's a legitimate risk of losing minutes to Walker and Murray and more minutes to Derek White as these guys push forward in their career and his career starts to age out. After that, there's not a lot to talk about on this team. Dante Cunningham, 32 years of age. I don't imagine he's back. I don't imagine he's a rotation player on any NBA team next season. He struggles, and I thought he played a, a lot or way too much this season. Negative 8.4 on off is obviously detrimental. Negative 2.7 PIPM, the worst on the team, was actually a negative wins added guy, which is not an easy thing to do unless your name is Kevin Knox. Not an easy thing to do to be a negative wins added guy. So he struggled. Lonnie Walker, let's talk a little bit about him because he suffered that uh, meniscus injury to begin the season and never really got going. Only played 17 games, 7 minutes, 2 points per game, uh, 35% shooting, including 39% from 3. But it's really hard to get a full gauge on Lonnie Walker. You know, a negative 23.6 on-off is obviously horrendous, but the amount of minutes, 118 minutes, is not really not really enough to judge that on. The PIPM wasn't great. Um He's not a guy that I was massively high on coming into the league. And let's have a look at what his G League numbers were. That might give us an indication. 16.6 points per game on 37% from three, 44 overall, three rebounds, 1.7 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.3 blocks. And that, to me, is a pretty strong indication of why I just wasn't massively into what Lonnie Walker uh, does because of the lack of supporting stats. He had a negative 2.23 PIPM in the G League and was a negative wins added player in the G League. Again, that's not easy to do. And that's across an 800-minute sample size. A lot of people really believe in him because he can be a guy that scores. But to me, he is like an Andrew Wiggins type of a player. He might score 20 points per game. But will you get me an assist, a rebound, a steal, a block? Will you hit threes at a solid enough level? I worry about all these things with Walker. I think that 
if you get someone offering you some sort of top 100 asset, top, well, you should even top seven, you get a top 70 asset for Lonnie Walker in any sort of dynasty format. I take it. I am not, look, I could be wrong. He could turn into a dynamic player and the Spurs development system develops these guys well. But a guy like Derek White was someone I was significantly higher on. DeJounte Murray significantly higher on and it's panned out for those guys. I'm just not sure how it pans out for Lonnie Walker. There's definitely a concern with the way that his game is. We haven't seen any really real level of efficiency from him uh, through Summer League, through G League, through his limited NBA playing time. There are a lot of concerns with how with how things are, are going to pan out for him. And again, with that, with that backcourt being as crowded as it is, you, does he get enough playing time to really show that. I think next year it's not going to happen. Maybe the year after when Mills and Ballinelli are gone, then he steps into that role. And even then, I'm not convinced that he is a surefire, bona fide superstar. Let's talk a little bit though now about DeJounte Murray, who missed all of that season with his ACL injury. His last full year in the NBA was the 176th ranked overall player in only 21 minutes a night. He will uh, play a lot more than that you'd expect when he is back. His value comes from being a super aggressive rebounder, a great shot blocker, a guy that generates steals, but the shootings are concerned. 27% in that second season in the NBA from three. His defensive stuff is going to keep him on the court. And he keeps claiming that his offense has improved, his shooting's improved. He's going to be a standard league flyer guy next season, no doubt. Will he be a top 50 guy? I think there's potential for him to get there. I just worry, again, with White. Maybe Derek White is the better player than DeJounte Murray. That's still up for debate. And I, th- I think that there's no yeah, hard and fast answer to that question at this stage. But Murray is going to come back and he's going to play. How much he plays is really going to be a question mark given all those concerns that I have mentioned in that backcourt where where he fits, how the minutes get distributed. Do you start him alongside with White and have zero shooters in the starting five? There are a lot of concerns with how Murray's going to come back, but he's absolutely going to be a standard league guy and probably going to be a top 100, top 75 sort of a player, assuming he gets 28 minutes a night. But I think 32 minutes a night for Murray next season is going to be a little bit out of uh, expectations. Drew Eubanks and Shemezi Metu played a little bit for this team. They didn't do a huge amount. I think Metu is a, a relatively interesting player who had some pretty interesting translations, but didn't really blow it up in the G League, didn't do much in the NBA to get me all that excited either. And he's 145 minutes, but... The front court is a little bit thin, especially if guys like Cunningham move on. Um, the Metu could move into that role and become more of a 20-team league player. But he's going to want to improve significantly on what he did this season where he uh, scored two points a game on 33% shooting, which is a big man. You obviously want more than that. You want some more uh, defensive stats generated as well, which he didn't really do uh, huge, huge uh, numbers in those areas too. So this Spurs team, a lot of question marks just from a rotation perspective, not in terms of players coming in or out. The Rudy Gay decision is going to be key. Do we get more Bertans minutes? Where does DeJounte fit in? Can Lonnie Walker step up? Can we get more Derek White minutes? How does the Rosen fair will Lamarcus Aldridge decline? There are a lot of question marks with this team for a relatively stable roster. There's a lot of question marks heading into this season. Don't forget, guys, never miss an episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball by subscribing over on uh, Himalaya Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. Leave me a five-star review. Subscribe on YouTube. Give it a thumbs up. Click the bell. Leave a comment. You know the drill. And check out our sponsors, Hotels.com, Grip Six Belts, and Untuck It. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
Dejounte Murray.